The following audio is from Cross Life Church in Tampa, Florida. We are a church that exists to help people find Christ, their place in the body, and their mission to the world. Our calling is to raise leaders and plant churches. So if you live in the Hudson area or near Wester Chapel, you can also check us out at one of our other locations. For more information, visit us at crosslife.net. Well, we started last week um, talking briefly, just kind of walking through the seven feasts of Israel. And if you can see them up here on the board, they're found in Leviticus chapter 23. Um, I said this last week, and I want to say it again this week, you know, I am constantly and consistently blown away at God's consistency the repetition of God in throughout history and throughout Scripture, the consistency of God throughout history and throughout Scripture, and the, um, the revealing of Himself throughout history and throughout Scripture. I know I've said it before, but you know just how God revealed Himself as Elohim, plural gods, And then he revealed himself as El Shaddai, the breasted one, the one who... uh, And then he revealed himself as Jehovah, uh, the God who is, the God who causes all things to exist. Then he reveals himself as the covenant-keeping God. He revealed himself as a providing God. And through Scripture, it's just... If you ever have an opportunity just to see... You probably Google and say, uh, the progressive revelation of God through the names of God. And you can just see how God, through history, keeps revealing more about Himself. And uh, it just blows me away. So when we're going through the seven feasts, there's tons of stuff that I've been learning and looking at that we're not going to talk about. But these feasts, uh, there's seven of them. So you have uh, the Jewish calendar started in April. That's the first month in the Jewish calendar. They're on a lunar calendar And it started with the first day of the first month with Passover. So just think about it for a bit. We think, well, it starts in April, but if we understand that the Jewish calendar starts their year in April. So the first day of the first month is April. God started His year with the Passover. He started everything with the Passover. And then unleavened bread and first fruits, and those were all only like... um, a couple weeks apart, within a couple week period of time. And then there's 50 days, and then there was Pentecost. And then there's a span of time uh, between the feasts, and then it's trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles in the fall, which uh, it's a 15, that's a 15-day period that all that takes place. And so you have seven months. You have seven feasts that happen in seven months. And so, and they all follow an agricultural um, calendar. Uh, Spring, um, spring harvest, summer harvest, and fall harvest. So these are all things just to kind of lock in as you go. As we walk down here a little bit more, it's going to make sense, going to put some things together. Last week, I started out with Leviticus chapter 23, saying that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying to the people of Israel, and say to them, these are the feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim them as holy assemblies. They are my feasts. In the NIV, it says they are my appointed feasts, 
which is pretty accurate because there's two words that I said last week that you need to focus on, and that is feasts, that they were assemblies, but they were not just assemblies. They were appointed assemblies in a particular fixed time or season, and that they were holy assemblies. So God said, I want to call you together during these particular times or seasons that I have set aside. I've set aside these days in particular times for you to gather together and gather together every year. And I said that it's been over 2,500 years that these feasts have been going on in the nation of Israel. And I said last week also that the word assembly has the idea of calling together, but it also has, it implies that it's a calling together for a rehearsal, which is, that's kind of interesting. It's a rehearsal. And another definition for that is a retelling, a telling and a retelling. So all this time, during every single year, these seven feasts have been going on, it's this rehearsal for something. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it was a foreshadowing, it says these things, these feasts were a foreshadowing of things to come, right? Remember that? And so here... Israel is gathering together, not just for a historical thing, but something that has yet to take place in the future. And so they're gathered together through these feasts. And as they're gathered together through these feasts, God is telling them and retelling them. God is, this is like this dress rehearsal for something that is to come because the feasts were, again, they were a shadow of what was to come. And I said last week, a a shadow is just uh, something... Uh, that is, uh, uh, how, how did I put, I don't remember how I put that, but you know, you have the reality, and then you have its shadow. And these feasts were also types in Israel of what was to come. So we learned last week through the first three that we talked about, is Passover was a shadow of a reality that was to come in Christ Jesus. Matter of fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it says very specifically, these are a shadow of things to come, but the reality is in Christ. So all along, these feasts and what God was doing, and we know this through history, this crimson thread that runs through Scripture, it was always about Jesus. It was always about the redemption of humanity and bringing man back to himself. But the reality of all that God was going to do was going to be through Jesus. So in the Passover, we know and we've learned that it, it has to do with the it foreshadowed the death of Christ. He was our Passover lamb. Back then it was with the uh, children of Israel. They were deliverance from Egypt. Ours is an understanding deliverance from bondage. They put, the blood was applied on the lintels and the doorposts of their home. And when the death angel came, the judgment of God would pass over them. For us, when the blood of Christ applied to our life, the judgment of God passes over us as well. And then unleavened bread foreshadowed the burial and sinless life of Jesus. He is our bread of life. And he was sinless bread of life. And so this feast of unleavened bread then foreshadows Jesus. And then the feast of first fruits foreshadowed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He would be the first fruits of a harvest that God was going to bring in. And we know that it's a harvest of souls. So that this, again, he's the, he's the, was the first of, I think, I can't remember the verse last week, of many that would come. 
but Jesus was the first, raised from the dead. This morning I want to look at the last ones. Uh, so the Feast of Pentecost, <clears throat> and so found in Leviticus chapter 23, and um, God's speaking to Moses, you shall count for yourselves uh, from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought out the sheaf and the wave offering, that there would be seven complete Sabbaths. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, then you shall present a new grain offering to the Lord. Now again, so the first three happened during in the spring, during the spring harvest. Pentecost happened toward the summer, and it was another harvest. Keep this in mind. It says, you shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an elf, and they shall be a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits unto the Lord. Then the priest shall take these two loaves that he shall wave them before the Lord as first fruits of, the, of, the, of an offering for the harvest. And then you'll offer two lambs before the Lord. They'll be holy unto the Lord. And on the same day, you'll make a proclamation as well. You are to have a holy convocation. This is when this feast is to occur. You shall not do any laborious work. And it will be a perpetual statute in all your dwelling places throughout your generations. There's tons of stuff just in that little bit. But in the Old Testament, we understand Pentecost, or the, it's called the Feast of Weeks, came 50 days after first fruits. So Jesus was raised from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. 50 days later is Pentecost. And we know what happened in Pentecost is when Peter, the Holy Spirit descends, Peter preaches, and 3,000 are saved. 3,000 souls are brought in. They're harvested into the kingdom of God. Um, so <clears throat> with this promised indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the first fruits of God's spiritual harvest are, have come in under God's new covenant. And again, Pentecost marked the beginning of the summer harvest. And it's important to note, too, in this, that this is, it says that these two loaves that were supposed to be an offering, a wave offering before the Lord, were made with leaven. This is the only of the, this is the one and only time out of all the feasts that leaven was included in the bread. And two things about this. So, it presumed that the two loaves that were brought to the temple on Pentecost represented two groups, Jew and Gentile. According to Philippians 2, chapter 14 and 15, that both of them would be a part of the harvest and foreshadow the time when Messiah would make both Jew and Gentiles to be one in Him. And the idea that it was made with leaven, and we understand that leaven is sin, signifies that the understanding that God understands that within the church there is going to be sin. Right? But we're going to get to that because... Pretty soon what's going to happen is the Day of Atonement. We're going, to, we're going to talk about that. So, still sin within the church, and it will be until Christ returns again. So we got three remaining feasts. So we got this long time, and now we have what's called the Feast of Trumpets. Now, I said this last week, the first four feet, feasts were fulfilled by Jesus. Symbolically and literally, at his first coming. 
And he fulfilled them on the very day. Jesus fulfilled them on the very day, which to me makes me think that we got these last three feasts coming. And you know, you look at prophecy and when it's all going to take place. Here's my thinking. So Jesus fulfilled the first four on the very day of the feast. I think that he'll probably fulfill the last three on the very day. To me, that just kind of makes sense. And so, um, and then the last three that are yet to be fulfilled, the last three feasts, they point to and will be fulfilled by Jesus at his second coming. So we've already had Jesus gave his life. He was a bread of life. He was a sinless, spotless lamb. He was a first fruit of those to be would be resurrected to God's king, new kingdom and then following the Spirit of God coming in Pentecost, and now we are in this church age where God is drawing men to himself, Jew and Gentile alike. So, one of the things to think about during this is this interim period between there, representing the church age. There's this, and if you think about this in months, there's this span of time. There are these months that take place from April, May till September and representing the church age when both Jews and Gentiles are going to come to faith in Jesus. But also need to remember that during this time the Jewish nation has blinders on concerning Jesus. According to um, uh, Romans chapter 11 verse 10, and those blinders are going to remain until the great tribulation when they see whom, him whom they have pierced. And so once the church age ends, the prophecy of the last free, three feasts begin. And they begin with the Feast of Trumpets. And in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 23 and 25 through 25, it says, Again, the Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, In the seventh month of the first day of the month, you shall have rest, and remember, uh, you shall have a rest, a reminder by blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation or assembly. You shall not do any labor's work, but you shall present an offering by fire to the Lord. Okay, again, um, the uh, this time frame, the church age, then the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets is important for this reason. It commemorated the ending of the agricultural and festival year. So we have a spring harvest, we have a summer harvest, and yet to be fulfilled is a fall harvest, a final harvest. And the final feast. Now again, these, these are back to back. This is a 15-day period. These things happen in 15 days. Every year in the Jewish calendar, they're back to back. So, what would happen is the feast is... In, uh, so it's the ending of the agriculture and festival year. And the trumpet was a signal for the workers of the field who were in the harvest to come out of the harvest fields that they're working in and to go up to the temple of God. Okay, so at the Feast of Trumpets, the high priest actually stood on the southwestern part of the temple wall and blew the trumpet so that it could be heard in the surrounding fields. And if you know the topography of Jerusalem, it's backed up into a mountain and there's all these fields here. And the tr priest would go up and he would blow the trumpet 
so it could be heard in the surrounding fields. And at that moment when they heard the trumpet, all the faithful, the believing Jew, they would just stop their working in the harvest. Even if there were more crops to bring in, they would stop because they knew that that was to signify that they were to leave the fields immediately and go up to the temple. And so the trumpet represents the gathering of God's people. And it's a, it's a gathering of God's people, the start of the gathering of God's people with the initial trumpet blast, which is the rapture of the church. Now, <clears throat> let's see here. Let's, let's see. Okay, here's a fun fact. I was looking up this, I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. The word trumpet in Leviticus is translated of the Hebrew word, which means a shout or a blowing. And I got to thinking about that. You know, a lot of people say, oh, we don't know about the rapture of the church and the trumpet, that whole deal. We're just a little fuzzy about that. We think other things. But, you know, you kind of walk through these... You know, as I walk through prophecy, I was having my mind open to a lot of things. And as I walk through the feast, I start narrowing them back down because these feasts are pretty, pretty explicit. In my mind, they're very explicit. And so we've heard it before, right? First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The ark of, ark of the voice, the voice of the archangel and the trump of God will sound. And then the dead in Christ, Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So also, the first day of the seventh month heralded or began a period of time knowing as these last four, 15 days here began what was called the High Holy Days. Now, the 10 days, there were 10 days from the blowing of the trumpet to the Day of Atonement. And it's known as, in Scripture, it's known as the Days of Awe. And it was a time of national repentance for Israel. So it was a time of them to pray and fast and prepare and repent in preparation. So you have the trumpet blast, you have the Day of Atonement, which is a period of repentance and preparation for the last and final feast, Tabernacles. And so it was this, um, as it was 10 days of penance, and there are seen as an opportunity for the nation of Israel to get their act together. It was a time for repentance, and they're symbolic. These days are symbolic of the final days of the age during which repentance is yet still possible, when mankind will be given their last opportunity to repent before a great judgment. So, this is likely just foreshadowing. We read it in Revelations. We know that there's going to be this time of great tribulation. We know that there's going to be a lot of stuff going on. We know that even during that time of the tribulation period, people have an opportunity to repent, right? And then the nation just rebel against God and they refuse to repent. But there are many that come to Christ during that time. 
And so these, these, these ten days, these days of awe are exactly that. They're a foreshadowing of this. And in the sixth one, when we look at it in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 26 through uh, 32, and I know I'm going quick, uh, but this is something that you can just, if, if I told Denise, I said, you know, if we really took time, this would take a really long time to do. There's so many, so many unique things in just the idea of the waving two loaves and the head leaven in them. The, what does that represent? When you look through Passover, you look through the Seder meal, you look through unleavened bread, and you look through what was done, you, you put all these things together. The thing that has been blowing my mind in all of this is that it's all about all these feasts and their seasons are all about three harvests. A beginning, a middle, and an end harvest. Now that just, I don't know about you, I don't know how, you know, all the all the months in the calendar year of the Jews, and God had selected seven feasts that take seven months. You know, just, I don't know. I just, it's, it's like God going, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> I did that way back. And, and then to think, you know, that God knows me? From the foundation of their God knew my name. How could I believe that? Oh, I go through stuff like this, and I go, got it, I believe that. Check. So I said that, you know, we just got done with all the prophecy and we see how God said he would do and he did. God said he would do and he did. God said he would do and he did. God said he's going to do this. He's already done that. He is going to do that. See, there is something that God is aiming at. And it is a redemption of humanity. And God is going to do it just the way he said and the significance of all of it, and who he's going to use to do it, his son, who was a Passover lamb. His son that was the one that he chose to bring redemption to humanity. God said he would put the world right, and God is putting the world right. And all these years ago, God instituted it. And then he has the the Jews rehearsing it year after year after year. He's telling them. Then he's telling them again. Then he's telling them again. Then he's telling them again. And I can't tell you over the last months that we've been going through prophecy. I've told you. I've told you. I've told you. I've told you. No, I haven't told you. I've been reminding us and reminding us and reminding us what he told us time after time after time. I don't know about you, but my faith is like this high. As I've been walking through this, it's just affirming to me again. Even though I just, even though my life at times gets dull and gets dry, even though in my eyes and my mind I think, how does this all make sense? I don't have it all figured out, but he does. And things like this, they just <clears throat> drive the nail in the coffin. Absolutely, this is going to happen. All right, Leviticus chapter 23. Verses 26 to 32 on the Day of Atonement. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, On exactly the tenth day of the seventh month is the Day of Atonement. It shall be a holy assembly for you, and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. You shall not do any work on this day, for it is the Day of Atonement. To make an atonement on your behalf before the Lord your God. Now, if there is any person who will not humble himself on this day, he shall be cut off 
from his people. As for any person who does any work on the same day, that person I will destroy from among his people. You should not work at all. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. It is to be a Sabbath, complete rest to you, and you shall humble your souls. On the ninth of the month at evening from evening until the next evening, you shall keep this Sabbath. So I said the Day of Atonement occurs on the tenth day of the seventh month and is a culmination of these ten days of penance that began with trumpets. Now according to Leviticus, the 16th chapter, the Day of Atonement was a day of a solemn fast. Can't eat or drink. Uh, and work was forbidden. Now on this day, the people prepared themselves with fasting and prayer to stand trial before the heavenly court that would review their life of the past year and would render a verdict. Now the symbolism of the Day of Atonement is, to me, it becomes obvious that it is the final opportunity for anyone that, they, that anyone will have to repent before the end of time, before the doors close, so to speak. And atonement, this is what we need to understand, atonement is about redemption, and it's about forgiveness that restores relationship and makes us one with God. Also, I was watching and uh, reading a, a Jewish scholar, and he said, atonement was about a time of second chances. So, here the Jews, when Jesus first come, they missed him. But what's going to happen is there is going to be, Jesus is going to come again. And these Jews are going to have this second chance, this opportunity to see him who they have pierced and to repent. And they're going to have a choice. So this is exactly why Jesus came, so that we could have this union and connection with God the Father for, through the forgiveness that he has offered us, through the forgiveness that he brings through his Son. Now when you look in Hebrews, uh, the author of Hebrews compares and contrasts the Old Testament ritual of the atonement with Christ's redeeming sacrifice on the cross. And basically he tells us how the imperfect observances... They were only a shadow, and they were imperfect observances on the Day of Atonement. They are a type, they were a shadow of the perfect that was to come, which was Jesus. So, in the Old Testament, what happened is, you know, the high priest was not allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, except one day a year, on this day, on the Day of Atonement. Um, and what he would do is he would go before the presence of God and he would atone for the sins of himself and the nation. And what happened is that he would slaughter a bull as a sin offering for himself and a goat as a sin offering for the people. Then he'd bring the blood in into the Holy of Holies and he'd splash it on and in front of the mercy seat of God. And that ritual took place every year, but that ritual foreshadowed something. It foreshadowed an event that was yet to occur. When Jesus, our high priest, who did not need to repent, repeat the sacrifices about once, offering his own blood as a one-time sacrifice for sin. So 
Let me just say right now, so we're looking at the sequential, right? And now we're looking at the Day of Atonement. Well, this is representative of Jesus' sacrifice, but Jesus was sacrificed back here at Passover. But listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24 through 26. It says, Christ did not enter the holy place with hands as a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself. Now it will appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer, him, offer himself often as a high priest enters the holy place year by year with a blood that is not his own. Otherwise, he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. So Jesus doesn't go in every year. Jesus went in once. And it says, but now once at the consummation of the ages... Let me, let me just read that 26 again. It says, talking about Jesus, otherwise he would have, ha, would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifest to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now think with me. So we are told exactly when Jesus would put away all sin. We know that at Passover, His blood was sufficient to pay the sins of man, past, present, and future. But the Day of Atonement represents Jesus' sacrifice, His once and all sacrifice to atone for all sin. Because we know that between now and the time that this happens, there's going to be all kinds of sin that's going to take place. We know that the Jews are going to repent toward the end of the age. But So we're told that Jesus puts away all sin, kind of a once and for all, a finality of it, the complete and finalness of putting away sin at the end of the ages. In other words, it is only at the end of the age that the atonement is finally complete once and for all. So Jesus did pay the penalty for sin, but we're going to see that in, in atonement, that sacrifice that he paid, we see it at the end of the age to put away all sin. So the last of the feasts is the Feast of Tabernacles some or Booths. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 34 to 32. Are you guys catching some of this and going, huh, never thought about that before. Hopefully what it's doing for you is what it's done for me is going, wow, hmm, hmm. All right. That makes a little more sense. How many times as you're, you're growing and learning, it's just like, pieces of the puzzle fall in place. Sometimes it is you have greater clarity about particular things. Sometimes it's like in your mind, the Spirit of God is speaking to you in your mind and heart, and you're connecting some dots. You're going, oh man, that makes total sense. For me, sometimes it's, Father, you, oh my goodness, you are so... Good. You, you don't miss a thing. You, you're just amening yourself through all these things to me and to humanity. 
That's the thing that I get out of this stuff. Okay, so Leviticus chapter 23, the Feast of Tabernacles, it says on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage, beautiful trees, palm branches, and burrows of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout generations, and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, is a week-long festival commemorating 40-year journey of the Israelites through the wilderness and how God protected and provided for them. And as well, like I said, it is the completion of the agricultural year. Or it's the completion of the harvests. And I got to pondering this a bit. So these feasts foreshadow the harvests. They were, they were foreshadowing something that was to happen. And it wasn't about crops. It was about the souls of men. It was about God's redemption for humanity. And so, it's interesting that along with Passover and Pentecost, Tabernacles is one of three of the great pilgrimages, feasts that are recorded in the Bible when all the Jewish males, three times a year, they had to be gathered together. God's people gathered together before the Lord in the temple at Jerusalem. So think about this. God gathered his people together at Passover, at trumpets, and at tabernacles. So this is how my mind is working right now. So at Passover, God gathered them together in his earthly temple through the sacrifice. At trumpets, he gathered them together in his heavenly temple. In tabernacles, he's going to gather his people together in his eternal temple. So if you can think that we have the idea of is that Passover, salvation here, trumpet, salvation there, tabernacles, eternal salvation. You know, again, all these feasts centered on the three harvests. God is doing what he said he would do. He's redeeming humanity to himself, and he started with the sacrifice of Christ, his shed blood for us so that we could come in to the kingdom of God. This is the church age. Then there is going to be this trumpets where we're going to be gathered together with him and there's going to be this final uh, the summer harvest and there's going to be a final culmination of redemption and restoration for humanity 
in these last, this last feasts. I don't know. It, 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 this culmination of the calendar year and final harvest in these seven months during 15 days, it kind of depicts the end of the harvest and the messianic future of peace and God's provision. So kind of just closing up here. This is the fulfillment. These feasts are the fulfillment of God's promise that he will once again tabernacle with his people. Adam and Eve in the garden. God will once again, God will once again literally be with his people. That's the promise. And as a type, the feast of the tabernacles looks forward to the millennial reign when God's people will have this long period of peace and rest. So again, let me just give you this quick overview. So the Passover, again, pictures the death of Jesus. It points to Jesus as our Passover lamb. The unleavened bread pictures the burial of Jesus in his sinless life. First fruits pictures the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruits, and then those that will follow, which is Pentecost, the descent of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, which pointed to this great summer harvest of souls, both Jew and Gentile. And then the Feast of Trumpets features God's gathering His people together, beginning with the rapture of the church, because we know that what happens after that, during this day of atonement, the Jews begin to realize who Jesus was, and as it's time to repent during this Feast of Atonement. So it pictures the second coming of Jesus, bringing judgment, and the purging of nations, and dealing with Israel's unbelief to believe. And then the Feast of Tabernacles pictures this literally, literal coming again of God's kingdom in the millennial reign. I mean, these are, I like it. God said, these are my appointed feasts. And they point to God's promise that he's going to set the world right, just as he said he would. And he would dwell with his people again. What a, what a man, what a promise. Not just looking through prophecy and see what he done, but these prophetic feasts that represented something in the past but pointed to something much greater, which we have found are in Christ. How good is that?